Praise God. How many of you are ready for the word? Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you this, this evening. Thank you that you are, the, you are the, the, the one to lead us by your spirit. He is the great teacher. And so, Holy Spirit, I, I yield to you. Thank you that you lead me, that you guide me, that you allow me to speak the words that will impact uh, the hearts of your people here. You know the needs. You know the desires. You know uh, what everyone needs here. Father, thank you that you can individually and corporately minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, like I said, I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about a, um, a message I've been working on for pretty much about a year now that I've been just working on, meditating on, um, and I've entitled it Living the Christ Life. Living the Christ Life. Now, uh, you know, as, as human beings, uh, we have uh, been created by God uh, to have and to enjoy life. Now, I don't know, uh, you know how many of you realize that uh, many Christians don't necessarily enjoy life. They have it, but they don't enjoy it. And Jesus said, and I love the amplified version of that passage of Scripture in John 10, 10, when he says, I have come, uh, you know, he says, the thief comes in order to steal, kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you might have and enjoy life. And so God's purpose is for us to enjoy life, and, to, and, and I believe He created us to find our uh, identity, our value, uh, and our significance in, uh, in God as our creator. And, and that should be the only place where we find our value. But, uh, you know, after the fall of man in, in um, Genesis chapter 3, if you go back there to Genesis, and I'm not going to go all there, but I, I assume that everybody here understands that in Genesis chapter 3, there's the description of what happened uh, when Adam and Eve partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did, um, that was not necessarily the sin they committed. The sin that Adam and Eve committed was believing the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy was that you're not significant and that you're not who God says you are. And therefore, in order for you to be who God wants you to be, or in order for you to be like God. Now, you know, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, God created man in his image. In the image of God created him. Male and female created him. That means male and female, we were created in the very image of God. And that means that you and I, as human beings, were like God. We were created like God. But Adam and Eve did not believe that because the enemy came and said, no, 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 you're not. In order for you to be like God, you need to do something in order to be. You need to, I call it the, the do-to-be tree. It is you need to do this in order to be. And unfortunately, because of the lie of the enemy, uh, man has lived 
uh, in independence from God. Instead of finding our identity, our value, our life, and our significance in God, in, in, in our identity as God, as our creator and our father, um, man now looks for his identity, his worth and life in himself, in what he does. What I can do, that's what the do-to-be tree did. I need to do in order to be. And from that moment on, uh, we as human beings have become incurably uh, religious. I call it, to, because that's what religion is. I, how many of you, how many of you uh, like re- religion? I hate religion. And the religion I hate worse than any other religion is Christian religion. Because Christianity has never been a religion. Now, we've equated it to a religion. We have kind of, you know, put it under the auspices of religion. But Christianity is not a a religion. Religion is what man thinks he ought to do, should do, and must do for God. And all religions work on that basis. You, this is what you have to do. This is what you ought to do. This is what you must do in order to please God, to win His favor. That's religion. Christianity is all about what God has done for you. Hallelujah. Now that, I don't know about you, but that's a huge difference. And, and unfortunately, uh, we have over the years... Uh, and um, when I say over the years, over the last 2,000 years, we have got these two things so conflated and so mixed up in a mixture that most people don't know how, how to actually uh, go about and understand the truth. So uh, what I want to do is I want to talk about um, you know, the fact that, that the world and religion, uh, we now look as it were, as human beings, we look for our acceptance from our success in what we believe we ought to do, should do. And, and the more successful we are in the things that we believe we ought to do, the, that's where we find our value. And then, on top of that, we also find our value in what other people then believe about us. What other people then see, and when they see the success in us, and they approve of that, then that's where we find our approval. Now, um, through the ages, as men, we have done everything. We have done everything we know how to do to actually make our life of independence from God to actually work. And we've done all kinds... We've gone through all kinds of means to make this work. Uh, For generation after generation, we have believed that we can perfect this. You know, it's like, uh, you know, we come up with just a new method or a new way of doing it. We can perfect this. But the only thing we've ever been able to do is to produce death, destruction, frustration uh, in, in, in our lives. And as a result, our worth, because we can't live up to those standards, our worth and our identity and our value 
is now uh, derived from what I do or what I don't do. And depending on how successful I am with that life. That's how I now value myself as either a success or a failure. And boy, I tell you, when, when we look at, we look at that, that is, is, is a, it is a, uh, uh, a dead-end street. Because once we go down that road, I am a failure. And then because I feel I'm a failure and other people then agree that you're a failure, we believe that God believes that we're failures. And therefore, we, we, we tend to move further away and further away from believing God. Because we believe that he, we believe, he believes we're a failure. And because of that, he wants nothing to do with us. You know, uh, many years ago, I, I, I saw a slogan on a sign. And, and the slogan said this. Uh, I am desperate for love, but I will settle for sex. I am desperate for love, but I will settle for money. I am desperate for love, but I will settle for things. And you know, that is such a true statement because we believe because of our, our view is that we now can get satisfaction from the things we can acquire, from money, from wealth from, you know, having property. That, that's going to fulfill what's in us. When only Jesus and the love of God is the answer to our issues and our cravings and our desires of what we, what we feel that we lack. You know, Jesus said this, John chapter 6 and verse 35 uh, and if you have your Bibles or you have, your, you know, people walk around now with tablets and phones and things like that. But if you have your Bible, in John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Now, I want, you, I want you guys to listen to what Jesus said. Because even in the church, even in the church, amongst us as believers, we have songs that we sing about how hungry we are. You know, it's, it's interesting is that, that this, this happened many years ago, but I was ministering somewhere. I can't remember where it was. I believe it was here in the United States. I was, I was ministering at a church, and, and I felt prompted by the Spirit just to ask people, how many of you are, are hungry for the things of God? And everybody, yes, hallelujah. And I said, well, how many of you are thirsty for God? And they said, yes, I'm thirsty. Oh, yes. We said, I said, but Jesus said, if you believe in me, listen to what he said, I am the bread of life. Whosoever comes to me will never hunger Again, whoever believes in me will never thirst. The Amplified Bible says it this way. It says, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me will never be hungry. And he who believes in, cleaves to, trusts in, relies on me will never thirst anymore at any time. Amen. <laughs> and it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said to me, he said, the, the, when, when you feel you're hungry, have you really come to believe in Jesus Christ? Have you really believed what He has come to do for you? Because Jesus said, if you do and you trust and rely upon me, you will never be hungry. Now, he's not talking about, you know, going to Chili's afterwards. and Not that kind of hunger. It's a spiritual hunger. It is a hunger that's within us for significance, for value. That hunger of feeling loved and accepted and, and feeling fulfilled in life and in your being as who you are as a being. And Jesus said that if you believe on me, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that fulfills your life. And when you believe on me, you will not be hungry again. You will not be thirsty at any time. Why? Because Jesus fulfills. See, living the Christian life, and that's really what I want to talk about here, uh, tonight, and like I said, I've never preached this. This is, this is brand new, off the fresh. You guys are guinea pigs, so you know um, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm hopefully gonna get to where I need to go with this. But you know what? I'm here tomorrow morning again, and uh, and Pastor said, right, you said I have three hours, three hours tonight, and <laughs> no, no, don't get, don't get worried. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna go that long, uh, but I have been known to do that. But anyway. <laughs> But, you know, living the Christian life is not about a new way of performance or works of doing right and living right. And as, as Pastor Mike was, Mark was saying, he was, uh, and he said, you know, doing good and, and, and being good, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what Christian life is about. But it is a, it, living the Christian life is a whole new life. A whole new uh, motivation of life that is not based upon, uh, and, and, and this might come as a shock to some people, but it, it's not necessarily based on a moral standard of spiritual discipline and a religious holiness, but it is... Uh, on it is a life built on the life-giving spirit of Christ Himself on the inside of me, manifesting on the outside uh, uh, and, and bringing it out, my life out into the open, living Christ in me, letting it come. You know, uh, it, Paul put it so beautifully in Colossians when he says. It says, the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery of the gospel. That's the mystery of the, of the truth of the gospel. And so the Christian life is living uh, a, a life based upon the Spirit of Christ that is in me and manifesting on the inside of me as a believer, as I trust that life, 
And the reason I want to talk about this is because I believe that because of what's happened, what man uh, happened to mankind in the garden, and for so many millennia, we have lived under this auspices of uh, what we do determines our value, that when we come to living the Christian life and relying upon the Christ life in me, we tend to not trust it because we've always trusted something from the outside, some rule, some laws, some value system that we've taken from the outside and we've relied upon that for so long that we've not really trusted the very life of Christ in us. Now, there are some passages, and I know that when I talk about this, I know that some people will come up with, you know, well, what about these scriptures? Or what about those scriptures? Or what about, you know, what, what, what the, the writer of Hebrews said? For instance, there are scriptures that have been confusing for many people for many years. And uh, like the ones found like in, in Hebrews. And if you want to, you can go there with me to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. Which seems to suggest, it seems to suggest that under the Old Testament, the law of God, which was the law given to Moses, was written on tablets of stone, which it was. Right? But, now under the New Testament, God has merely taken the law of Moses and now has written uh, or, or implanted them into the hearts and the minds of his people. Let, let, let's go and read those verses and let's go and have a look at why, that, why I, I say this. In, in, in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10, it says, I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version here. He says, verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Now, this passage of Scripture is uh, quoted out of Jeremiah. And so he's quoting from the Old Testament in Jeremiah, and he says, I will imprint my laws upon their minds and upon their innermost thoughts and understanding and engrave them upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And boy, I tell you, I've heard many a message, and even in, in the gospel circles. You know, I love, I love the, the term, the grace of God, and the grace message. But you know, whenever we just call it the grace message, we also are saying that there is another message. And that, you know, we're, we're preaching the grace message, but you know what? This is the gospel. This is, grace is the gospel message. This is the, this is the gospel that Paul said in Romans, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed of this good news. For this good news is the power of God. Now, I've heard many people you know, preach from these passages of Scripture, chapter 10 and verse 16 says something similar. 
And it says, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Now, uh, the question before us tonight is this. What is the law that God writes upon our hearts? Now, the, the, uh, the legalist or the law person will quickly say uh, that this is obviously referring to the Old Testament laws of Moses or the laws of God given to Moses that God is going to be writing on our hearts. Um, do we now, do we now is, 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 is it suggesting that do we now live in obedience to the law from within instead of living in obedience to the law from without? Now, if you listen to many people, the way they believe is that, yes, that's what happens. The, the, the law used to be written on tablets of stone, and now God has written it upon our hearts. So now, the same way we used to keep the law from, from the outside in, now we're going to just live our lives keeping the law from the inside out. Well, the problem with that is, if this is the Ten Commandments that are written upon our hearts um, and our minds, uh, we're, we're still living and keeping the law for the purpose of righteousness, for the purpose of acceptance, for the purpose of doing in order to be. That means that nothing has changed then. Then the New Testament, there's no different to the Old Testament. See, I, don't, I do not believe that, and, oh, uh, let's, let, let, let me put it this way. I find it hard to believe that, that when uh, the writer of Hebrews is referring to that passage of Scripture out of Jeremiah, it, that he's suggesting that God is, is writing or has, as if, uh, because if that is true, then as believers to today, God has now written the Ten Commandments on my heart and on my mind. And now I should, I should now live as a believer from the inside out, just the same way that the Old Testament believers lived from the outside in. Nothing has changed then. Then we are still in trouble. <laughs> Amen. So I, so I don't believe that God has written the Ten Commandments as such upon our hearts to keep uh, for the means of righteousness and acceptance. But at the same time, let me, let me just qualify this. Because a lot of people will say, well, are you saying that the, the Ten Commandments uh, have no value? No, I believe the Ten Commandments have a lot of value. Uh, that means at the same time, I do believe that as New Testament believers, we can, I mean, if you find it difficult to, to understand what is moral, what is right, then I believe you can, you can take the Ten Commandments, you can take the laws of God, and you can, you can actually put them into practice in your own life and say, you know what? I don't know what is right, what is wrong, what is, what is, what is good, what is evil. I don't know what it is. I, I, at least I have a guideline for my life. I don't believe. See, because a lot of people, a lot of grace people will say, oh, well, no, hang, okay. 
No, I, I believe that we can still go to the law and we can still see. For instance, just, you know, Ten Commandments says this. It says, honor your mother and your father that it may be well with you. We can still go and say, you know, it's good to honor your mother and your father to take care of the elderly. And, and, and th there is a reward that comes, not from God, but it's, there's a reward for doing that. And I can, I can as it were, uh, use the Ten Commandments as a guide in my life if I want to. As long, as long as I don't believe that my success in doing so determines my spirituality and that my favor and my acceptance with God. The unfortunate thing, though, is, is that when you as a believer, because you see, I hear a lot of people say, well, I, I don't, you know, I don't keep the law uh, in order to find my, my right standing with God, but, you know, I still practice the law because it's a good guide for your life. Well, here's the problem is, is that as human beings, we are incurably religious. And what we do is we fall into the trap so quickly when we kind of have that mentality. Before you know it, you start looking at your life and say, oh, yeah, I'm doing pretty good here. You know, and then you start valuing your spirituality upon your ability to actually keep these commandments as a, as a guide to your life. And before you know it, how many of you know Jesus never never warned his disciples, or you and I for that matter, against the devil. There's not, there's not one scripture where Jesus said, now guys, sit down, listen to my words. The devil is bad. And I want to just tell you that, boy, you need to be careful of the devil. And you've got to be careful of the demons and the principalities and the powers that be. There's not one place Jesus did that. Have you ever thought about that? But it's amazing how that even in the church, and it seems to be, it seems to be coming an awakening up in the church. You know, how many of you are familiar with uh, 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 Brother Kenneth Hagin? You know, Kenneth Hagin, many, 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 many years ago, he said this. He said, he says, there's nothing new in the church. He says, I've heard it all. And it comes around every so often. And it's like, you know what? They, I mean, right now in the church, it, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this happening. And it's even amongst, even amongst the grace people. It's, it's the, the, the you know, deliverance ministry and the, and the devil. And, you know, it's like people come, well, it's a deliverance ministry. I said, said to somebody the other day, I don't know who this is for. I wasn't going to preach on this. But, but and somebody came and said to me, well, you know, I'm in the deliverance ministry. I said, oh, that's interesting. Is can you show me that ministry in the Bible? <laughs> show, me, show me the ministry of deliverance in the Bible. There is no such thing. There is deliverance. People get delivered. You know, I'm from Africa. People, people here talk to me all the time about, you know, we had a manifestation. I said, 
Almost everywhere I went in Africa, there was manifestations and, de and demonic manifestations. And what did we do? We just cast them out. We delivered them. But I didn't have a deliverance ministry. There's no such thing as a deliverance ministry. Amen. I, that, that's just ministry. Amen. I don't know who's that, who that's for, but that's, that, I'm not going to charge you for that. But Jesus never warned his disciples against the enemy. But he did warn them. There was a place where Jesus warned us. And he warned us against the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said to his disciples, beware of the leaven, and he calls it leaven or yeast, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, they didn't understand what he was talking about because it was in the midst of them not remembering to take food with them on a trip. So they thought, he said, you know, he was addressing their failure. And so, he, uh, and they said, well, you know, how is it that he knew that we didn't bring any food? Jesus says, it's not because you didn't bring any food. I am warning you against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, what was the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? It was the law. It was the law for the purpose of righteousness. And Jesus called it, Leaven. He says, beware of the influence. What is, what is leaven? What does yeast do? Yeast has no other purpose to influence the dough and to, and to cause it to rise. And Jesus says, be careful of the, 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 the leaven of the Pharisees and or the teaching of the Pharisees. It's like leaven. You see, the problem is that many times people want to, people want to use the Old Testament law or, or that legalistic system and, and, and actually say, well, I'm, I'm not doing this because I, I want to have uh, you know, uh, my righteousness on this. But the problem is the law is like leaven. You let a little bit in and it affects the whole lump. And before you know it, you're back into legalism again, and you're back into that thing that's going to drive you nuts. Drive your Christian life nuts. Amen. <laughs> so so I, I don't have a problem when people say, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the law. Sure, if you do, as long as you don't fall into that trap. As long as you don't think that your ability to do this is going to in any way cause you to be more spiritual and more accepting to God or acceptable to God. Okay, so let's, let's I, I want to not tonight, if I can just get through this tonight, then tomorrow we'll get into the real, this is good stuff too, but it, it, we're going to get into some really good stuff tomorrow morning. And so I really would encourage you, if you can make it, if you've not planned on coming out, you know, I'd really encourage you to come. Because it, it, it will be, uh, I, was, I was using my wife as a guinea pig this afternoon. I, I was saying, this is what I wanted to, and she said to me, she said to me, you better make that into a book. <laughs> so, and what were your words? She said to me, this is so freeing. Man, I feel something, when we can understand this. So let's just quickly look. I want to give you a couple of reasons why I believe, or I find it hard to believe, that the law that he's talking about here is the, is the old covenant law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and all of the subsidiary 
laws that came after that 600, I think 660 something different laws that, that was added to that. And isn't it amazing? God gives them 10 laws. And then we go and we, we, we put another 650 laws that are like little, little laws that are connected to this. Amen. So now watch. There's a couple of things. Number one, the law inflames sin in your life. That's what the law does. Now I know that this is almost uh, contrary to what what most people will 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 be teaching from from the, the from the pulpit. See, every time we practice the law, and again, what I what I'm talking about here is whenever I practice the law. So somebody will say to me, and I can almost hear somebody saying, "Well, you know, I don't try to live according to the Ten Commandments." Uh, I've got news for you. Any law you think you need to keep, any, anything you believe you ought to do, should do, and must do for God, it doesn't have to be from the Ten Commandments. It could be a law that you've come up with, and you said to yourself, you know, in order to be a good Christian, surely, and then we add on, you need to live like this, or you need to do that, or you need to be like this, or you need to, in order to be a That might just be a law that you brought upon yourself, that you've, that you've acquired, and you've said, in order for me to be a good Christian, to be a good Christian, to be accepted by God, to have God's favor in my life, then I ought to do and should do and must do this. That's the law. And you're under legalism. Doesn't have to be the Ten Commandments. It might it might be a a law or a rule that your your Christian community has come up with. Well, you know, people say, well, you know, uh, my grandfather always did this, my father always did this, and I I I believe this is just what we've always done. Come on, it might not even be in the it might not even be connected to the Ten Commandments. You're, you're in law. You're, you are legalistic. And, 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 and that is as bad as the Ten Commandments. Because, and, and, and it's almost hard to say it's bad as the Ten Commandments. Because there's nothing bad about the Ten Commandments. It's just that what is bad is that you can't keep it. You can't do it. I don't care who you are. You know, some people are like, oh. At least, you know, there was the young man that came to Jesus. The young, the, the, the young ruler came to Jesus. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Jesus, what must I do? <laughs> what must I, what, listen to what, what must I do in order to inherit the kingdom? Jesus said, oh, uh, if you ever go there, Jesus gives him six commandments. Doesn't give him the ten, gives him six. And then, and then the young man says, <clears throat> Jesus, these commandments I have kept from my youth. See, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus knew. He said, knew the six he kept. He didn't, he didn't bring those other four that he didn't keep. He didn't bring them up. He only brought up the six that the, the young man actually believed he kept. 
right? <laughs> and so the young man said, well, I've kept those since my youth. And Jesus said, okay, in that case, go sell everything you have and then come and follow me. Right? And so, so what is Jesus doing? Jesus is pulling him back and taking him to the very, the very first law given. Is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, and him alone shall you serve. And the young man, the, Bi the Bible says, the, the Greek language says, his face clouded over. Because he realized he couldn't even keep that first line. He couldn't even keep that first line. You know, Jesus was probably the strictest law preacher that ever lived. Jesus took the law further than anybody ever took it. Why? Because he wanted to make you understand you can't do this. You can't do this. It's impossible. And so what it does is that Romans chapter, uh, Paul says, Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, uh, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. So here's the thing though, is, is if God is going to inscribe upon my heart, my mind, the Old Testament law for me to keep, then what is he doing? He, God is then accentuating your inability to do it. Come on, think about that for a moment. Amen. The next thing that we see here is that the, the, uh, 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 Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, he says that sin is the sting of uh, and results in death, and the law gives sin its power. So what is he saying? He's saying that it inflames sin in your life. You know, years ago, anybody familiar with T.L. Osborne? T.L. Osborne, great man of God. And I heard him say this, and it was so, I mean, it was profound. And he said, he said uh, you know, in the church, we don't have a sin problem. In the church, we have a law problem. Because the more the law is preached, the more the law will stir up sin in you. And it causes sin to be strengthened in your life. Now, let me ask you, why would God want to stir up sin in your life by writing the Ten Commandments on your heart? I don't see, I, that's why I find it very difficult to believe this. Number two, the second thing is the law commands, or sorry, the law condemns and ministers death. Listen to what Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 through to verse 9. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm sure that your pastors have already taught you this, but it's good that I come and teach it again, right? And, and so verse 7 it says, and I'm going to read it here out of the King James, the old King James. Of course, that's the, 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 the translation that Paul used, is the old King James. Not really. Verse 7 says, But if the ministration of death written and 
uh, and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Verse 9, For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doeth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. So what is Paul? Paul here is talking and he's contrasting the difference between the old covenant law, as you want to put it, and the new covenant law. Hallelujah. And he says that the old covenant law was a ministration of death. A ministration of condemnation. That means that years ago, many years ago, maybe 30 years ago, I said, Lord, how will I know that I'm busy with law in my life? How would I know this? And the Holy Spirit just said to me, the moment you have condemnation, the moment you feel condemned, the moment you feel guilt toward God, you're busy with a relationship with God based upon performance. That's the moment, the moment that happens. So here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, he says it's the ministration of death, the ministration of condemnation, where the other one is the ministration of righteousness. Hallelujah. God wants you and I to enjoy life. We said it right in the beginning. He wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to have it and enjoy it. And in Christ, there is no condemnation. Can we go and look at that verse? Are you, are you guys Bible, Bible scholars? You, you, do you like, can, or must I just, but I, like, I like the word. Because, you know, the, the, the word, when we look at the word, the word of God has power to unlock within us. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, uh, Amplified Classic Version says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no adjudging guilty of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I know, I know, I know already, you know, most people say, yeah, but Arthur, you're just quoting half the verse. No, I'm not actually. Because if you go to the original texts and see some of, some of the oldest texts, the rest of the verse that, that you have in your Bibles is not in there. It was added later on. And in fact, in many good translations, the rest of what's written there would be in italics, meaning it's not in the original text. It was added by those people who could not believe that it could be this good. I'm telling you. The translators, many of the translators, they translated our Bibles and then they interjected their legalistic ideas in there. And you've got to be real careful how you read your Bible and just because, how does it go? This is how it goes. It says, therefore, there is now no, when, when is there now? When is there no condemnation? Now. 
There is, there is therefore now. Give it a minute. There is therefore now. There is therefore now. No condemnation. Isn't that... I don't know about you, but you know, <laughs> it, 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 my, my feet want to, I want to start running. It's like, it's like, there is therefore now, when now, now, whenever it is in your life, now, there is no condemnation. For whom? For them who are in Christ. Now, the rest of the verse usually goes like this who live and walk not after the dictates of the flesh but after the dictates of the Spirit. So here's what most people then say. Yes, that's right. There is no condemnation to you in Christ. But if you live and do things in the flesh, which, you know, of course, usually means that you've done something wrong, or you've said something wrong, or you at least thought something wrong, then, they, then there's going to be condemnation. So that was just a way to get people back under condemnation. Listen, let me just tell you. Religion knows that if, you can, if they can keep you condemned, they can control you. They can control you. The Bible says, it is for freedom that Christ came to set you free. Religion brings you under domination. Jesus comes and sets you free. And he says, there is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life. Now that's what I want you to take note of. For the law. Remember I said to you. He said he's going to write the laws upon our hearts. Now come on. He says the law of the spirit of life. There is a law God writes upon our hearts. Which is called the law of the spirit of life. Which is in Christ Jesus the law of our new being has freed me from the law of sin and death. Oh, hallelujah. For God has, has done, and I love this, for God has done what the law could not do. So we see that the law, and the law he's talking about there is the law of the, the Ten Commandments, the old covenant law of God given to Moses. He says... the. the the law, the old covenant law could never do this. So why would God write the old covenant law upon your heart if it can't do what is needed to be done? Are you guys with me here? Is this helping anybody? Amen. Amen. For God has done what the law of Moses could not do. It, its power being weakened by the flesh... The entire nature of man without the Holy Spirit. So here's, here's what I want you to see. People say, are you, are, are you saying that the law is evil or weak? No, the, the old covenant law was not evil. What, what made the old covenant of no effect in your life is you. As soon as you got involved, It made the law that it could not accomplish what you think it can accomplish. Notice it says, God has done what the law could not do. It's power being weakened by my flesh, your flesh. 
Couldn't you, it, your flesh couldn't do it. Oh, hallelujah. Are you with me here? Praise God. Now, he goes, it says the entire uh, nature of man without the Holy Spirit, sending his own son in the guise of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh, subdued, overcame, deprived it of the power over all who accept that sacrifice. Isn't that beautiful? Now verse 4, because people, see, people will now talk about this and they'll say, well, you know, uh, if you live according to the flesh, because that, that same phrase that was used in verse 1 is actually used here, and this is where it actually comes from. He says, so that the righteousness and just requirement of the law might be uh, fully met in us who live and move not in the ways of the flesh, but in the ways of the Spirit. Our lives governed by, not by the standards and accordance, uh, according to the dictates of the flesh, but, con listen to this, controlled by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. I like to use it, by the, controlled by the Holy Ghost. Now you see, I want you to see here that there is going to be a place where you and I, if we're going to live the Christ life, we're going to have to trust the controlling of the Holy Spirit in us. We're going to have to let go. Can I use your cane? <laughs> we have used the law for a long time as a crutch. And so we've become so used to the crutch that we don't want to let this go. Because what if I let it go and then I fall? See, that's where, that's where a lot of people... What if I let go of the law and I don't live according to the dictates of the law, but now I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit who's in me and the controlling of the Holy Spirit in me, the problem is, I can't lay my hands on it. I can't lay my eyes on it. I can't go and say, this is what it says. I now have to, I have to now discern by the leading of the Spirit. And what Pastor Mark was saying so beautifully, is that he always knows best. Oh, hallelujah. I must, I must be very careful that I don't run ahead of myself here. Amen. Hallelujah. But, that, uh, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So we see that, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the law uh, was not capable of doing, but God in Christ, for those who believe in Him, there is no condemnation. So people say, well, what happens if I trust the Holy Spirit and I make a mistake? Oh, come on now. Hallelujah. Isn't that what John said in 1 John? Hallelujah. He makes it very clear. He says, he says, listen, the whole idea, the whole purpose of this is so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, <laughs> we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So if, 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 so if you do make a mistake, yeah, I can almost guarantee you here 
that uh, you're going to make mistakes just like you've made mistakes by holding on to the law. But now I'm going to have to trust the Holy Spirit in me because now the Holy Spirit, you see, the law and grace doesn't mix. The law and grace doesn't mix. Unfortunately, that's the, the predominant message preached in the church. Not in not one particular denomination. It is the, the, whole, the whole church, Protestant, Catholic, Pentecostal, Charismatic, everywhere. It's a mixture. And that mixture is more deadly than anything else. Hallelujah. See, um, Galatians, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. He, uh, Paul says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So, he, I, I love that. that the, 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 this is the, the message Bible. It says, Christ has set us free to live a free life, to live freely. How many of you understand that freedom is not freedom if you're only free to do certain things? I teach, a, I teach a class at Caris Bible College called Let Freedom Reign. And, uh, and whenever I come to this, I talk and, I, and I'll say, free. People say, yes, freedom, hallelujah. And I say, well, okay, here. True freedom, the definition of the word, the Greek word used by Paul here, liberty, literally means you're free from all moral and mortal liability. That means you're free to go and do whatever you want. People say, oh, Arthur, you can't say it. Well, here's the reality. Jesus set you free. You're not free if you're not free to go to hell if you want to. Listen, if you're, if you're only free to serve God, then you're not free. It is for freedom. It's for liberty. That means to be free from all legal and, 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 and moral liability in your life. That you're free to go and do whatever you want. People say, well, you know, a pastor friend of mine many years ago, when I, when, when I, was, I wasn't preaching this in his church, but I was communicating this to him over a cup of coffee. And he said to me, Arthur, he says, I cannot allow myself to believe that. I said, why not? He said, because there's no telling what I'll go do. You see, I'll tell you the, the fear that most of us have because we've lived so long under the law that stirs up the passions of sin in us. And we've kept it bottled up by the fear of the wrath of God that the moment we take that away and say, you're free to do whatever you want to, then your heart's revealed. And most people are too scared to find out what's in their own hearts. People say, well, it's that message that, went, that caused me to go and sin. No, the message of grace just took away the, the, the hindrances to what's already in your heart to do. And let me tell you something. When we are set free, when Jesus sets us free, yes, we, 
I'm free. You mean I can do whatever I want to? Yes, you can go do whatever you want to. You can go to hell if you want to. And as you fall into hell, God will still love you. Well, I can go and sin then. I can live like the devil. No, you're an idiot. People say, well, what do you mean? You're an idiot. If that's what you think, you're stupid. Why? Because sin will kill you. Now, I, I arranged for pastor to put this bottle of water. You see it has no label on it. He put this bottle of water up here. You'll see it's, it's not sealed. It's open. He opened it. I put some really powerful poison in here. And uh, now, this poison, before it kills you, will give you a really big high. <laughs> but I can tell you now, you know, the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. And so the, the, the poison I put in here, it's going to give you a great high. It's going to be wonderful, but the end of it will be you'll die. Who'd like so? Well, I mean, you, you, that's the exact same reason why you don't sin. The, the reason, you say, well, I'm not going to drink that water that's got poison in it. Oh, that's why you don't sin. Not because God's going to kill you if you do sin. No, the Bible says sin will kill you. The wages are, it doesn't say the wages God gives you when you sin is death. It says the wages of sin is death. God's got nothing to do with it. He has set us free to live free. So take your stand. So here Paul says, he has set you free. And he set you free that you're free to go wherever you want to, whatever you want, because now you can make the right decision. Now you can let the Holy Spirit, the law, come on now, that is now written upon your heart and in your mind. You can now give that credence and say, I'm going I'm to make the right decision. I'm going to let Him lead me. Oh, hallelujah. I'm preaching better than you're reacting, but... <laughs> <laughs> and he said, notice what he says and never let anyone put you in a harness of slavery again oh isn't that powerful I am, and he says I'm emphatic about this the moment listen to this the moment any one of you submits to circumcision now here's many of the other translations just say if you submit to circumcision now, I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian for 40, 45 years. I've been in ministry for over 40 years. I've never gone to anywhere in the world, and I've traveled the world. I've never gone to any church anywhere in the world where they've required me to be circumcised. You know, it's like, I don't know about you guys, maybe you have, but I haven't. So, so here's the problem that we have today, is that you and I read this, and we kind of, ah, that's for, that's for Paul, and, and in Paul's day, they had that problem. 
No, no, no. Listen, listen to what the Message Bible says. The Message Bible says, I'm emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system. Ah, you see, circumcision was part of a law-keeping system. And so he's saying, any other law-keeping system. What, what, what happens? He says, the moment you submit to circumcision or any other law-keeping system or rule-keeping system, at, the, at the, the same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. Wow. Why would God write on your heart and my heart the Old Testament law system if the moment we partake of that or try to live like that, we make the sacrifice of Christ of no effect? Are you guys with me here? Hallelujah. He says this, I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision or any other rule-keeping system trades all of the advantages of a free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of law. Wow. So basically what he's just saying is that you and I, see, living the Christ life is living a free life. And it, listen, I, I, and again, I mustn't run ahead of myself here. Verse 4 says, uh, I suspect you would never intend this. And he's writing to them, he says, I, I know that you would never intend to do this, but the moment you get involved with this, this is what's going to happen. He says, I, I know you don't intend doing this, See, that's why I said early on, I don't have a problem if you want to keep the law as a, as, as a means of, of, of guidance in your life, as long as you don't fall into that trap. You, you say, well, I don't mean to do that. I know, but this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> and he says, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by the religious, your religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. And basically what that means is you make whatever Christ accomplished on your behalf of no effect in your life. Man, I tell you something, that, that should tell us. Why would God want to write a, a law system on your heart for you to keep that's going to make what his son paid in his blood for of no effect in your life. Why would God do that? Amen. He wouldn't do that. And then, of course, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's so much more, and, 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 I, and I realize I'm kind of running out of time here. But I, I really want to encourage you. Listen, the, the, the Scripture is very clear that, that God brought the old covenant system or the old law system to an end. Do I have five minutes? Can, I give, can you give me five minutes? All right. I, 
I really don't want to wear you out. So I'm, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm being very, very conscious. My wife has been on me because I can go, I can go a little long. And, and, uh, but, but I want to be conscious of not wearing you out because I really would like for you to come tomorrow because tomorrow is the culmination of this and really will be freeing and helpful to you. I know it has been for me. But, you see, God, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 8, tells us that God found fault with the law. Let me, let me just go read these, these verses to you quickly, and I'll highlight a couple of things, and we'll end off with this. See, because of the, 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 the Jesus' ministry, as far as, uh, uh, and the Bible says, is, is far more superior. You know, there's a lot that we can talk about. Because uh, in, Romans, in Romans chapter 5, Paul even talks about, he says, listen, he says, the sin of Adam is not to be compared with God's grace in Christ. He says, it is, uh, and, and this is just my paraphrase, it is out of proportion to the fall of man. The only way I can explain this is, is to, to explain it like this, is to say, the sin of Adam and what Adam did cannot be compared to what Jesus did. Okay, but here's the problem. In most Christian circles, the gospel you and I have heard over the years has been a gospel message that says that Jesus came and fixed what Adam broke. Are, are you understand? Does that make sense to you? Meaning that what Jesus did was equal in the positive to the negative of what Adam did. So basically the gospel, the gospel is like this. Jesus, all Jesus did is whatever Adam broke, whatever Adam broke over here, I mustn't mix up the two. Whatever Adam broke over here, Jesus came with enough to fix what he broke. Now Paul in, in Romans chapter 5 says, uh -uh. he says, he says, the grace of God that is, that is Christ is not to be compared with what Adam did. Why? Because it is out of proportion I love those words. The Greek there means it cannot be compared. You can't take the one and compare it with the other because the one is so much bigger, so much greater, that it cannot even be compared. Amen. You know, I, I, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, Jesus came and put us back in the garden where Adam fell. No, no, he didn't. <laughs> it's, it's way better. It's way better. See, God's restoration, the restoration of God is that He doesn't restore things back. I love that song that we sang, by the way. Love that song. I want to claim that song for our children. But, uh, and the reason I say that to my wife, did you, did you see it? You felt the same way? 
it's like, you know, our children in South Africa had a home invasion a couple of months ago, and, and, and it was a terrible thing, and, the, and it was the second one in 11 months that my daughter had to endure four men coming into her house and just stealing everything and, and, and keeping them hostage, her and her little, uh, two, two little boys, and, and just stealing everything of value in their home twice in 11 months. And so I tell you, God, when we, when we sang that song, I was like, yes! God's restoration is not that He only restores what was stolen. Oh, come on. He brings it back to something way better. Hallelujah. Way better. Bigger than anything else. Brothers and sisters, we've got to understand is that, listen, you know, God comes and God looks at the law and, and the Bible says in, in, in Hebrews, let me just go read here. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 says, but as it now is, now if you read before that, he says this is what it was like. But now, this is how it is. Okay, so I want you to turn to your friend or your neighbor or your enemy <laughs> and just, uh, just poke them in the ribs if you want to or just to say, this is how it now is. This is, this is now how it is. This is how it is. Okay, here, here it comes. This is how it is. It says, He Christ has acquired a priestly ministry which is as superior and more excellent than the old as the covenant, the agreement which, of which He was the mediator or the arbiter or the agent is superior and more excellent because it is in, enacted and rests upon more important, sublime, higher, nobler promises. So what is he saying? That's a, that's a mouthful right there. And he's saying, listen, what Christ did is, is superior. And he says that, so basically, if, if what Christ did is superior to the old covenant law, then what does it make the old covenant law? Inferior. Oh, hallelujah. God found the old covenant inferior. So therefore, he sent his son with something that is superior. Verse 7 says, For if that first covenant, which is the covenant of law, had been without defect, there would have been no room for another one or to attempt to institute another one. So what does it say? He says, if the old one was without defect, that means the old one was defective. The old covenant law was defective. Verse 8 says, however, he finds fault with them. Oh, here, here's where we are. The old covenant was a fault-finding covenant. Amen. He finds fault with them, showing its inadequacy. The old covenant, it was inadequate. Hallelujah. When he says, behold, the days will come. This is the scripture we read right in the beginning. Let's come, says the Lord, when I will make and, and ratify a new covenant or an agreement with the house of Israel and uh, with the house of, oh, sorry, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 9 says, it will not be like the covenant that I made with their forefathers on the day when I grasped them by the hand and led them and relieved, uh, relieved them and led them uh, out of the land of Egypt, 
for they did not abide in my agreement. And so I withdrew. Listen to this. The old covenant of law, God was withdrawn from it. God wasn't in it. I withdrew myself, my favor, and disregarded. The old covenant was a covenant of disregard. It was not a covenant of regard. It was a covenant of disregard. Verse, verse uh, uh, um, uh, 13, I'm just going to jump right there, verse 13. When God speaks of a new covenant or an agreement, He makes the first one obsolete. Oh, hallelujah. Obsolete. Out of use. And what is obsolete and out of use and annulled because of age is ripe for disappearance and to be dispensed with altogether. Think about this. Why would God insult the sacrifice of His Son to give us a system that is inferior? That He's not going to do that. So, so we can then see, without having to go through any of these others, we can see here that the law that God has written upon our hearts is not the Old Testament law it's not the old covenant law of Moses. It is not trying to live uh, a set of rules from the inside out now. I believe that it is, it's evident for me in Scripture that the law that God writes upon our hearts and in our minds and embeds them in our very being is the law of Jesus Christ. That he lays and, and as foundation in your life and in my life. The mystery of the gospel, Paul says, is Christ in you. The hope. And, and just think about what does he say? The, not the hope that you're going to make it to glory. The hope of living in glory. The hope of living. A glorious life. People say, oh, well, God wants you to live a holy life. You know, God's called you to a righteous life, a holy life. No, well, let me just tell you, He has called you to a Christ life. Yes. 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 Oh, hallelujah. And a Christ life is way better than a holy life. You see, uh, to, to be called, say, well, our God has called us to a holy life is still based upon the old covenant set of rules and regulations. And if you do these things, then you're a holy person and you're set apart for God. But God has called you to live a Christ life, which is a supernatural life that comes from the inside out, and you live in your true nature, your true character, who God has already made you, discovering your divine identity, and then start to live according to that. People, somebody said to me the other day, well, you know, the Bible keeps on, you know, Paul, I mean, to, to writing to Christians, he kept on saying to them, to, and, and encouraging them to live a holy life, right? 
He did. He encouraged them. He said to, to live holy. Well, what is that? Is that is that to live according to the Old Testament law? No. It is now for you to live a life of someone who's already set apart. Man, I'm going to buy this CD. <laughs> Hallelujah. That you can now live. God, Paul is encouraging us and saying, listen, find out who you are and find out the very life of Christ in you. Trust it. Amen. Trust it. And I want to encourage you tonight. I want to leave you with this. Will you, will you, and I know this is not going to be an easy thing for us to do. And, you know, you say to me, Arthur, you know, is, is, is this where your life is? No, I'm preaching as much to myself here as, as I'm <laughs> preaching to you here. Hallelujah. This is something God has laid upon my heart for almost a year and, and encouraging me and saying to me, Arthur, you, you, you preach grace, you talk, but are you living from the perspective of the very grace of God in you? And His name is Jesus Christ. I'm going to leave you with this one illustration. And, and, and what I'm trying to show you here is that what I'm saying here is not that, like, how many of you have heard people say, oh, oh, Arthur, what you're saying is some, somehow what, what uh, uh, you know, John the Baptist said when he, when he knew about Jesus, I must decrease so that he must increase, right? And how, how many times have we not heard that? And, 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 I, and I've heard that for, for as long as I've been in you know, oh, well, you've got, you know, Christ in you, you just got to let him live his life, and you need to decrease, and let just, and one day I just said to, the, I said to the Lord, I, said, I stopped, I said, Lord, hang on, hang on, hang on. I said, if that's what you want from me, if, if that's what this means, then why did you even create me? If, 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 if you want me to disappear, you want Arthur to disappear and Arthur to, to, to melt to nothing and have no influence whatsoever, why did you even make me then? Come on, think about that. And because you see over the years, I've always, and this is one of the reasons I, I really felt the Lord really in, uh, encouraged me to, to, to adventure on this teaching. I don't, you know, like I said, this is the first time I've ever taught on it. And so I, I, I'm sure it's going to be refined. But I thought, if, if, if I need to just disappear, why did you even make me? Why did you make me with my personality and who I am and what I like and what I don't like? Come on, why, why did you make me like this? Why, If I then have to just disappear and then let Christ, you know, because we actually have this, what, what is called the duality. Until one day, I was sitting back home in South Africa and I was sitting in, 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 a, in a recliner watching sport on television. And my son, he came, I heard him come, and he drove into the driveway with his car and he got out and he slammed the door. And I already, by just hearing what's going on, I know he's already in a bad mood. <laughs> so, and, he, and, and in South Africa, you know... We, you, you guys, we live, we live in the United States, we live beautiful lives. In South Africa, you live behind steel bars, steel gates, uh, a, a, a compound with razor wire and electric fencing and, 
and all kinds of stuff. So I hear my son come and he's got the, the bunch of keys and he's unlocking the steel gate before he can come in the front door. And then he slams the steel gate, locks it up again, opens the front door. And as he walks in, now I'm sitting watching him, he's walk, and he walks right in front of me. And, and my daughter was sitting in the other um, living room and she said something to him. And, I, and, I, and, th- and this is what he did. He, he, he went like that. And as I looked at him and he did that, I mean, I went, oh my God, that's me. His reaction, the way he pulled his eyebrows, that's me. And then, and then he said something to her. And the way he said it, I thought, oh my God, that's me. And that's when the Lord said to me, Arthur, that's what it means. Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, my son did not spend hours studying my facial expressions so that at the right moment he could do that. (laughs) He did it because I'm in him. My genes are in him. And the older he's getting, the worse it's getting. (laughs) But you see, what I'm trying to get across is here, is that when you do and trust that, now my son, he doesn't even know it's happening. I am manifesting in him. And the way he talks, the way he, he makes certain decisions, I'm thinking to myself, that's me and stop doing that. <laughs> Amen. I, I know that some of you already know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you see, we carry the genes of our Father in us. And as believers, we carry the, the very genos of God in us and it's time for us to trust it and start to living out of it hallelujah hallelujah let's all stand let's all stand thank you for being so gracious I don't know how long I went but I know it's longer than usual (laughs) but you know I want you to do something tonight. And, and, and I know that by doing this, it doesn't mean you're actually going to follow through. It just means that you're going to make a decision tonight. You say, you know, Father, the mystery of the gospel is that Christ is in me. And I make a decision today To allow Jesus in me. To express His life through me. Now all of us are going to learn how to do this. And we're going to learn to live by faith. And to trust this. But I can tell you that when you do, you're going to start living a life way more enjoyable way more productive and way holier than you ever thought you could live. Amen. So let's just lift our hands.
People say, well, you know, I don't, I don't lift my hands in church. Nobody here is going to even see that you did it. So, you know, just lift, like, just like somebody's putting a gun in your back and you go, hands up. <laughs> and, and really, the reason I say that is because that's what we do, is we surrender. That's what this means. So, Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you, Father God. We thank you that you love us. We thank you, Lord, that you value us. We thank you, Father, that, that you sent Jesus, your Son, to come not only to give us life, but to be our lives in Jesus' name. So let's pray this prayer together. Say, Heavenly Father, today I make a decision to start trusting the life of Christ in me to live through me in freedom in reality and in supernatural life in Jesus name Amen Amen Amen, Amen.